1 Timothy chapter 5. And we are going to read in verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. Paul, writing to Timothy under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some men are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. Even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. If you are visiting with us today, we want you to know that we are delighted that you have chosen to be here with us. We don't believe for a moment that your attendance here today is accidental. The great God of the universe has orchestrated this moment for each and every one of us to be here. And as Malachi mentioned earlier, we are currently in the midst of a sermon series affectionately titled Churchology. There are signs everywhere talking about this series of messages. And there are, to be sure, varied purposes in such a series of messages. On the one hand, for many of you who have been saints for a long time, these messages are reminders of things that you probably already know, but a refresher on these things is helpful. Don't you love how Peter says it twice, actually, that he wants to stir people up by way of reminder? There's something about being a Christian where you become forgetful. And a series on the church for the saints is helpful for us to remember, to stir us up. On the other hand, if you're new to the faith and you're still trying in your mind to put together what is this church business, why do we talk about membership, why do we talk baptism, why do we talk communion, why do we gather together each week, why does it seem that there's this accountability thing going on here? If you're asking those kinds of questions, then this series is certainly helpful for you. We're grateful that the church is at this time able to answer some of those questions. If you're not a believer, this series of messages we pray is helpful for you as well because we desire for you to find what you are so desperately seeking, and that's Jesus. Because there's no other hope that can be found outside of him. And that's what all of us genuinely want. So the church is a great place for all of us at this time to be reminded why is it that we are a part of a church? What is it that the church does? And today we're going to be asking the question, how are we served in the church and how do we care for those who serve us? If you recall, a few weeks ago, our dear brother Joshua Griever began this series with a title of his message, A Biblical Theology of the People of God. And if you recall, he said that day, that's a fancy way of saying, who are we? And subsequently, in the other weeks, our pastor, Pastor Josh, has talked about church membership and baptism. And in the coming weeks, we're going to have more answers to questions like communion and what is the purpose of the church, how are we gifted, and and various other questions. So you must know 
I was delighted to say yes when I was asked this week if I'd be willing to preach today in this series of messages because I think it's a good moment for us as a body who sit under these men called elders for us to evaluate what the scripture says about these brothers and how we are to care for them. So if you're a note taker, that's the title of our message today. Caring for those who care for us. Caring for those who care for us. We might state it as a question, actually. How do we care for those who care for us? And if you're also, if you're a note taker, maybe you'll write this down. Here's sort of the big idea that I think this text will show us. Jesus is honored and churches are strengthened when we care for our pastors. Jesus is honored. Churches are strengthened when we care for our pastors. To fold this out in this text, I want to ask the text two simple questions. I think the questions are obvious in this text and search for some answers. And at the very end of the message today, I'll provide, I hope, what are six practical takeaways for all of us. So how do we care for those who care for us? We're going to have two main points and six takeaways in the end. Let's pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Father, thank you that in your sovereign plan, you have ordained this very moment. This moment when we gather to hear from your word. And this is just what we need. We need your word. We don't need other words or other voices or other opinions. We've been listening to that all week, and it's exhausting. We need you. We know ourselves well enough to know that we are needy, but you know just the depth of our need. So God, we ask you now, our great Father, that you would help needy people. You would help us today. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So dear saints of Trinity Bible Church, how do we care for those who care for us? Well, the first question I think we ought to ask is, who cares for us? (laughs) And I think there are multiple answers to that question. There are a lot of people in this church who care for you. And many of them, most of them, don't have a title by their name. Most of them aren't elders or aren't deacons or don't serve on the stage. This church is a caring body, thanks be to God. There are many people who care in this church for you. And hopefully you have people who care for you outside of this church as well. But that's not the question we're asking here. In the text that we just read, who is it in this text that Paul is wanting us to see these people care for you? Answer, elders. Dear church family, our elders care for us. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So let's focus in just for a moment on that word elders there at the front end of verse 17. When you read through the book of Acts, as George mentioned a moment ago, you discover how the church grew in number and in influence. Luke is meticulous in giving us so many details in his narrative. And as the church spread and as it grew in number and as the disciples grew in influence, they needed stable leadership in these local fellowships of believers. And it became evident because perhaps we all know this, working with people isn't easy. Working with Christians certainly isn't easy. I was hoping that would be funny, but apparently it isn't. (laughs) As the church grew, problems arose, and you needed leaders in these churches to care for one another. As the church grew, we find, for example, in Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 30, that elders began to assume roles of leadership in these newly formed churches. Luke mentions their presence, their presence rather, in Jerusalem. And later, when Paul and Barnabas were on the tail end of their first missionary journey, they appointed elders in every church they planted. And you can read about that in Acts chapter 14, verse 32. 
So we could say a lot about elders in general this morning, but one thing we must say, and one thing that is clear, no matter where you look in the New Testament, elders took on the shepherding, the teaching, the preaching, the counseling, the exhorting, and the leading of these congregations so that they might continue to grow in their grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And... So that they would, as they grow in Christ, make a greater imprint in the areas in which they lived. The church is the people of God. Why? As we learned a few weeks. Because the church belongs to Jesus. And we are, as a local body, an on-the-ground expression of the gospel that can be seen in how we live together and how we love our Lord. Or how we love our Lord and subsequently live together. And God in his infinite wisdom has given us leaders so that we don't make a mess of this. Because we will. Without leaders. At this point, it's helpful to sort of wrap our minds around what Timothy is facing in Ephesus. Timothy's walking into problems. And he knows it. So does Paul. And so do they, by the way. There are problems there. There are, there's a storm brewing, if you will. Timothy was sent to correct the false teaching that has been taking place in Ephesus. The core of this heresy, it seems to be that there were leaders, perhaps men that might be considered elders, who were teaching false doctrine, who were leading people astray. Paul's solution to the problem is chapter 1, verse 10. Timothy, teach sound doctrine. But that's not the only answer well, that's not the only solution that Timothy was to have in Ephesus. It's not just simply, hey, Timothy, go to Ephesus and put out the fire. That's part of it. Teach sound doctrine. But it's more than that. It's go to Ephesus, teach sound doctrine, put out the fire, and put people in place who won't start more fires. It's not just stop the problem. It's keep it from happening again. And the way you keep sound teaching prevalent in the church is to put people in place who believe in sound doctrine and who will exhort sound doctrine to the people of God. So we are not surprised, therefore, that Paul spends so much time on the qualifications necessary to hold the office of elder. It's a meticulous research, if you will, into the inner workings of a man to determine if he is eligible to be an elder. Chapter 3 is all about that, choosing the right person to be in the right place, to make the right decisions for God's people who've been made right by the blood of Christ. So in chapter 5, Paul is very concerned, if you will, with how we treat one another. If you have 1 Timothy open, just look up at chapter 5, how it begins. Just notice the connections of relationships. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Older women, verse 2, as mothers, younger women, as sisters, and on and on he goes into widows. So apparently, there is a way we are to treat one another in the church. And there is, where we're going in this text, there's a way we are to treat those who have, what we're about to see in a moment, an authority in our lives. So brothers and sisters, how do we care for those who care for us? First of all, who is it that cares for us? Our elders care for us. What can we learn in this text that gives us insight into how these brothers care for us? I think in this text, there are two obvious things. It's just sort of leap off the page. And we could go to other scriptures and see other things, but let's first note how our elders care for us. Number one, our elders are servant leaders. Our elders care for us, A, because they are servant leaders. Did you notice the phrase in verse 17? Those who rule well, this authority language, these people called elders have an authority in your lives. It means quite literally those who stand first or those who stand on the front side of others. It's translated in 1 Timothy 5 verse 12 this way. Those who have charge over you in the Lord. Romans 12, 
verses, verse 8, it's translated as leads or gives aid. In 1 Timothy 3, 4, and verse 12, the, the idea is managing and serving. Brothers and sisters, it's no surprise that you and I live in a culture that despises authority. We are living in an anti-authoritarian age. And by that, I mean authority in a good way. I'm not talking about the bad examples of authority. Certainly, we all have a problem with that. I'm talking about authority at all. Someone who can look into your lives and speak truth, even when it's uncomfortable for you to hear that truth. We, we live in a day and age where it seems to be the cultural worldview is that you are your own authority. But dear friend, trust me, many have the scars to prove that lone ranger Christianity is fool's gold. It might look good. It might have the appearance that it's good. But it's valueless. It's valueless. You need, and God knows you need, People who keep their eyeballs on you. And God has given a group of people the task to do it. But you know what you and I would naturally do? Wait a minute, who are you to look in my life? I'm the elder who loves you and has been given authority by God to look into your life. And that's the idea here. Our elders have servant leadership to rule us well. Last December, there was a church in Missouri, a friend sent this to me, it was a church in Missouri that advertised a senior pastor opening, and it was a very lengthy job description. At the very top of the page, it said senior pastor, under that it said full-time, under that it said salary, $13,000 a year, and under that it gave the description of what they're wanting in their next pastor. And I quote, full-time pastor who is willing to take on a very hard job ministering to a stubborn people, low pay and long hours, great blessings and a retirement plan that is out of this world, end quote. In other words, we're barely going to pay you and we're going to get you to heaven faster than anybody else. We are, I think if we all admit, stubborn people. We're bullheaded. That's the expression my grandfather used to have about me. You're bullheaded, young man. You know, these kinds of things. We're stubborn, and God in his infinite wisdom knows how to put people in our lives who have an authority given from God. Because, by the way, where is all authority coming from? All authority is God's. So any authority he gives to others is an extension of him, right? This is for the government. Paul makes clear in Romans. And it's also true of the church and those who serve the church as elders, John Chrysostom, in his homily on this text, makes this statement, and I quote him. Speaking to his congregation, he says this, But you are responsible for making this toil light or heavy. If you despise my words, or, though you do not despise them, do not embody them in your deeds, my toil will be heavy, because I am laboring fruitlessly and in vain." But if you pay attention and make my words manifested in your deeds, I shall not even be aware of the perspiration, for the fruit produced by my work will not permit me to feel the laboriousness of my toil. Elders work hard, and sometimes we make their jobs even harder. They have an authority that God has given to them, and because of our nature as sheep, Sometimes it's very difficult for them to rein us in. But God has given these brothers the servant leadership, the capacity to do so. Now you might be asking, where is this coming from? Our shepherds who shepherd us are under shepherds of the great shepherd, King Jesus. In John 10, we are told that Jesus is the good shepherd who gives abundant life to his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. He knows his sheep. He gathers his sheep. He protects his sheep. Every human authority owns an authority given to, really stewards, of authority that is owned by God. So brothers and sisters, please hear your brother this morning. Good and helpful elders are those who provide effective spiritual leadership 
by exercising this authority in our lives. Is it any wonder, listen carefully, that in chapter 3, when Paul talks about the qualifications for elders, he doesn't talk about a series of skill sets. He talks about a series of character traits. Isn't that what you want in your life? You don't want the person who has it all together as far as skill set, maybe somebody who's really impressive. You want somebody who's seeking the Lord. You want somebody whose heart is soft and tender with the mercies of the Lord to be ruling you as elders. I think this is why Martin Luther said it this way, men who hold the office of the ministry should have the heart of a mother toward the church, a tenderness in their authority. Brothers and sisters, our elders possess a God-given leadership that is always tempered by the example that Jesus Christ sets for us as our good shepherd. Brothers and sisters, the Lord Jesus has given us nine elders in our church. Eight of them were just here. I assume Dan is probably teaching Sunday school downstairs for the children. We have nine brothers that love us. And listen carefully, guys. They can't buy this authority that God has given them on Amazon. The authority that God has given these men is his design to care for our souls. So these men who care for us are servant leaders. But that's not all, actually, is it? They're servant leaders But secondly, elders are those who labor in the ministry of the word. They labor in the ministry of the word. The word labor is in the text, actually. Notice at the end of verse 17, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Elder ministry is not for the lazy. It is exhausting spiritually, physically, psychologically, emotionally, relationally. It is exhausting in every way a human being can be exhausted. It is work. In fact, Paul uses the word toil in in Colossians chapter 1. What is it that the work, what work is it that the elders do for us? Well, they do a lot of things. Dear friends, our elders throughout the week are doing things most of us will never see. They're meeting with people who need counseling. They're praying with those who are sick. They're visiting those who've had different crises in their lives. They're praying for you. They're meeting and planning things for the future. They're listening in on our conversations to figure out how they can best serve us. They're doing a thousand things, a thousand good things. But there is a level of work they do that's better than all those good things. It's way more important than those good things. And Paul simply calls it preaching and teaching. That work is far superior than all of the other things they do during the week. You and I come here on Sundays because we need the Word. We need God to speak to us through His Word. In verse 17, he says, preaching and teaching. The commentary on these, uh, it's amazing how much is written on those two words in the commentators uh, on this section. Basically, the idea behind this When Paul mentions that the elders serve us, they labor in preaching, is they open up the Word of God. They seek to help us understand it, and they apply it to us so that we can live rightly in light of who God is and who we are as His people. And yet, they do more than that. They teach us God's Word as well. They lay out doctrines for us. They, if you will, put up a fence, if you will, around areas of theology so that we don't go astray. They teach us ways to think rightly about ourselves, about our relationships, about God. And these things are critical for the kingdom's work in our own lives and in the work of our church. Do you remember the very practical problem that occurred in Acts chapter 6? We don't have time to go there, but in Acts chapter 6, the disciples were increasing in number. Remember, there was a complaint by the Hellenists. They basically said, hey, the, the, uh, there's not enough food distribution. And there's this complaint by the Hellenists against the Jews. And the apostles want to deal with it, but they realize, the, if you will, the levels of their time. And they assembled the full twelve together and the disciples, and they say to them, it is not right 
that we should leave or give up preaching to serve tables. There's nothing wrong with serving tables. There's nothing wrong with distributing food to those who need it. But they're saying our time is so crunched with the expansion of the church, we can't leave the thing that's more important, the preaching and teaching. Dear brothers and sisters, I hope that each week you do not let your time go by without praying for the preaching and teaching of the word that our elders give to us on a weekly basis. Whether it's from the pulpit on Sunday mornings, mostly through our pastor, Josh Vincent, or others that the elders bring here, I hope your week doesn't go by without you praying, longing for their preaching and teaching to be characteristically true of what Scripture says. That their heart has been worn with the the beauty of Christ and that we are, if you will, the beneficiaries of their work. Trinity Bible Church is blessed to have Josh Vincent as our pastor and elder and Mike Darris, and Harry Fair, and Mark Sherrod, and George Mann, and Reuben Martinez, and Dan Diffie, and Toby Jennings, and Andy McClurg. And dear brothers, those of you who are our elders, I speak to you as one who's under your authority, as are all the others in the room. And I speak to you on their behalf when I say to you, we are so grateful to God for you. We notice your work. And there is no doubt that you could find yourselves involved in a thousand things, good things, each and every week. But we implore you today, do not neglect your first duty to us. Please continue teaching us and feeding us God's Word. Whether it is a Sunday morning sermon or one of our many educational classes, use your authority to keep a watchful eye on the church's overall teaching. Listen carefully to us. Be on alert for ways you can teach us so that we may not drift. As Josh mentioned so beautifully recently, when you drift from the church, you're on your way to drifting from Jesus. Elders, don't allow that. Dear brother elders, in the spirit of 2 Timothy 2, we ask that you remember that teaching includes the training of others to teach. So we ask you, brothers, to disciple many others who will follow you and teach the Word of God as well. Dear brother elders, we love you in Christ. So congregation, I think it's appropriate that we pray right now and thank God for our elders. Let's pray. Father, thank you Thank you so much for uh, these men who are our elders. And Father, we pray for you to empower these brothers uh, by the power of your Spirit to shepherd us with your word. We don't need their word, Lord. We need your word through them. Father, we pray for Josh and Mike and Harry and Mark and George and Reuben, and Dan, and Toby, and Andy, help these brothers work hard, knowing their labor is not in vain. Father, help us to follow these under-shepherds as they follow Jesus. For the good of the saints at Trinity Bible Church, for the glory of King Jesus, bless these brothers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who is it that cares for us? Our elders care for us. And how do they care for us? They care for us with servant leadership to rule us well. But they also care for us by preaching and teaching the word of God. They do a thousand other things, but that is their main ministry to us. So dear brothers and sisters, how do we care for them? How do we care for them who are involved in such a weighty task? I want to offer three answers to that question. How do we care for those who care for us. Three answers. If you're writing things down, here are those three answers, and and we'll hopefully make sense of them. Number one, we honor them properly. We honor our elders properly. Number two, we correct them, and I'm using this word on purpose. I'll explain it in a moment. We correct them scrupulously. Number three, we appoint them patiently. We honor them properly, 
we correct them scrupulously, and we appoint them patiently. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure." So brothers, how do we care for those who care for us? Number one, we honor them properly. This word you see there in 17, this double honor language. Again, the commentators love to wax eloquently about what all of this possibly means. Okay, But there are at least two ideas here. First, when we say that we honor them, we have to mean that we respect them. There is inherently within their duty to us our response of respect. Those who have this God-given authority, we respect them. We revere them. We admire them. By the way, if you'll recall in chapter 3, where the qualifications are listed, Paul encouraged the aspiration to this calling. Those who should serve in this way are going to be men who are honored. But secondly, the idea that spends that should gather at least most of our attention now, is the idea of remuneration. And what I mean by that is, Paul believes, as churches are able, that they should pay for the services that their elders bring to the body. Let's unpack that for just a moment. Paul uses two scriptural exhortations to make this point. He first goes to Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4, where Moses is giving instructions on how to live in the land. He shows that God's people were to have regard for the animals who were doing their work. In other words, the ox works very hard. The ox should benefit from his work. You should feed the ox. So applied to elders, we can tie in the imagery here. If an ox works in the field... He does his work, and we take care of the one who's doing the work. How much more should we care for the one doing the work of preaching and teaching and all those other things that our elders do? The other quote comes actually from Jesus in the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, Luke 10, Matthew 10, which Paul, I think is a beautiful statement here, calls Scripture, equates it with Scripture. That's another inspiration message perhaps, but Paul is already including the language of Jesus, the words of Jesus as scripture here, and he talks about the laborer being worthy of his wages. The context, if you'll recall, this is when Jesus sends out the 70 to do the work of ministry. So those who teach the word, those who are working on our behalf, they are entitled to be cared for by the church in a double honor kind of way. We respect them, yes. Honor them, yes. Revere them in a healthy, holy way, yes. All of that, yes, yes, yes. But even more, these brothers who work hard as the churches are able should bless them in remuneration or payment. Paul calls the labor of preaching and teaching, as we've just seen a moment ago, the essential role of elders. Instruction of the Word is so important, and it is so vital to our souls, that it is right for a community of faith to do everything in their power to ensure their elders are cared for. You will remember Paul, in his own ministry, sometimes would receive support from others. Sometimes he would refuse it. When he thought that the congregations sort of had duplicitous ways or faulty understandings of him, he was a tent maker. 
But when others had a good heart and good motivations to support him, he received that support. I think he's telling Timothy here, the, the pattern that I want you to establish in these churches is that the church should support the labor that it takes to do the ministry of the word. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you, the work of the ministry of the word takes a lot of time, work, a lot of hours. And these brothers who serve us so well, the men you just saw on stage, serve us well. And as the church is able, the church supports these brothers financially. Now, uh, we don't have time to to get into all of the the nitty-gritty of all of that. There are some church plants, for example, that just aren't at the level of development to, to pay their ministers. But it is their aspiration to one day pay for their ministers. There are other churches who are just in... Uh, perhaps a season of their journey where the finances aren't there to pay their ministers. There are other churches who are affluent, have a lot of money to pay their ministers. At Trinity Bible Church, all of the elders that were on stage a moment ago aren't financially paid, as far as I know about, but some of them are. Our pastor and our associate pastor, maybe there are others. We know that we have to support these brothers who are full-time working for us each and every week. And the other, what some people might call lay elders, who serve with them, these brothers that you saw on the stage, are not paid. We think that this is a way for us to honor these brothers who preach and take care of us. We respect them. That's one way we care for them. And the double honor is that we should seek as much as we are able to pay for them with our finances. Brothers, I think, you know, some pastors hate preaching this text because that sounds greedy. Guys, make sure you, uh, you know, put things in the offering plate there, right? See what he says? I mean, it just seems kind of greedy, but I don't think the emphasis here is look at the pastor. I think the emphasis here is look at the folks. Are you giving financially to the church where you hear the word of God preached? I think it's on us. The spotlight isn't on elders here. The spotlight is on us. Are you caring for those who care for you? And are you doing it with your money? This says a lot about you. You need God's word. And it takes a lot for us to get it. It takes a lot of work for these brothers to do it. So this is not a how much are you giving. This is where is your heart in relationship to your money and what is far greater than your money? The ministry of the word in your life. And how are we serving our churches with our billfolds? We care for those who care for us by caring for them, by honoring them in these ways. Number two, we care for them by correcting them scrupulously. What in the world do I mean by that? Uh, The word scrupulous is not a word we use all the time, but what I simply mean here is We take charges, we must take charges against elders very, very seriously. Remember, Timothy is going to correct a problem. Elders are teaching false doctrine. And Timothy is going to have to do some tough work there. Elders must manifest, if you will, a scrutiny in their spiritual disciplines and a regular holding of accountability with each other. Yet despite the layers of discipline they may have in their own lives, despite the layers of accountability in their own lives, may I just tell you something, our elders aren't perfect. I know that was shock to some of you. But these brothers aren't perfect. They are sinners, just like you and I. So what happens if an elder has persistent, unrepentant sin in his life? What, what should we do? How do we go about this? First, notice there seemed to be some, a, a great bit of caution here on how you even approach it with an elder. Notice he says, except on the basis of two or three witnesses. There seems to be in Paul's mind, if you're going to bring a charge against an elder, it better be legitimate. And one way to discern the legitimacy of a charge against an elder is, is there support for your claim? Are you bringing up a personal vendetta? Are are you upset about something interpersonally with this person? Or has this elder actually sinned? Is there a charge you can corroborate? And if there isn't, the issue is you. There is this care that has to be brought about how we take care 
of correcting elders who have unrepentant sin. By the way, doesn't this seem like we're talking sort of in the shadows of Matthew 18? This having witnesses who can corroborate these things. If you're going to bring an accusation against an elder, there needs to be two or three witnesses or even more. What, is this, uh, what this means is, I believe, what, what Paul is getting at here is that when a charge happens, two or three witnesses go to an elder and they bring the charge to the elder and, Lord willing, the elder repents. And if he does, and that's certainly our prayer, then it would be settled. But what happens if brothers, sisters, bring to an elder a charge and he refuses to repent? And they, they will just patiently try to bring this issue to this elder and he will not repent. What, what eventually happens when that great care and patience seems like it's going nowhere? Well, Paul says, right, notice he even uses the language, those who continue in sin, unrepentant elders have to be confronted publicly. They have to be um, confronted publicly. He says it is done in the presence of all. Why? So that the rest also will be fearful of sinning. Why should unrepentant elders be treated in a public way before the rest to see how it is they are unrepentant of their sin? I think two things, right? He says the rest may stand in fear. Again, this could be the congregation. In other words, the elder who's unrepentant, who can be shown to be unrepentant, would cause the congregation to fear. I think that's certainly true, but I think there's something more than that. The other thing is that the other elders would see their character matters. And if they are going to live lives of, unrepenting, of, of unrepentance in their sin, they too will be judged before the congregation. We have, by the way, friends, if you see this, you and I in the congregation, we have a great responsibility to pray for our brothers and to care for them so that that never happens. We want our elders to have hearts of repentance. And if, and if the unthinkable happens where we have to do this kind of thing, there will have been a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of prayer and tears for an elder to repent. But Paul wants to give us a way to confront this. Thirdly, Paul says to Timothy, hey man, you don't get to play favorites either. We honor them with double honor. We confront sin and you got to do it the right way. And thirdly, you don't get to play favorites. In the presence, verse 21, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, notice this, this audience, if you will. You can't sweep this under the rug, Timothy. Notice who's watching this. Who is looking at your church in the presence of God, of Christ Jesus, of the elect angels? I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Nobody gets off the hook here. Holiness is all for, is for all of us. We don't get to excuse some. So confronting and publicly rebuking them is certainly a difficult thing. And no one is off the hook. Our holiness matters Paul is escalating, in my view, what is at stake in the church as we pursue Christ? Our elders are held to a very high standard of holiness because they have an authority given to them by the Lord. And if they're in unrepentant sin, they could abuse their authority in our lives. John Calvin said, and I quote him, none are more exposed to slanders and insults than godly teachers. They may perform their duties correctly and conscientiously, yet they never avoid a thousand criticisms. End quote. And that is certainly true. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, we must congregationally care for our brothers in prayer and encouragement and support. We must, thirdly, appoint them patiently. 
You don't rush to bring someone in as an elder. Do you see that in verse 22? Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. The idea here, this is like appointment language. Sometimes you might think of an ordination service or what we just saw up here where these elders are brought before you publicly. Hey, you now see who these men are who have this authority, who are serving you. You see them. Watch them, pay attention to them. They're paying attention to you. We're in this together. We're serving one another because we love Jesus. You don't put people in that position whimsically, on a whim. You don't put new converts there, chapter 3. You don't put somebody there who doesn't know the Lord in a deep and abiding way. Ministers and elders are appointed in a deliberate fashion. If you were here... Over the months, we were told about Toby and Andy, and it wasn't, by the way, vote now. There was this lengthy process where we could, in even confidential ways, in public ways, talk about these brothers. And I was so grateful to see how we welcomed the men because they're men of dignity and character, and we will be better for their service to us. So, dear brothers, who are our elders? I speak to you as one of those who's under your authority, as are all the rest in here. We honor you for the good gifts that you have that have been given to you by our Lord. You are worthy of double honor, and it is our delight to bestow double honor that is yours. We hope, oh we hope, that you sense our love for you and our appreciation for your service through the various ways we seek to honor you. We ask, elders, that you watch your life and your doctrine closely because your holiness matters to us. We want you to hate your sin as much as you hate the sin you see in us. If you are married, elders, we ask for you to love your wife more than you love others. We ask for you to resist sin. If you have children, we ask for you to be tender and loving as you shepherd them, for that's how you'll shepherd us. We ask you, dear brothers, to open your lives to the loving accountability of the elders in your meetings. We ask you to be men of prayer, building regular times of prayer into your lives. Brothers who are elders, we do not expect perfection from you, but we hope for elders who are daily taking up their crosses following our Lord. Dear brother elders, we want to honor you. We want to care for you because we love you in Christ. And for for those of us in the congregation, I think it's appropriate for us to pray now and ask for God to protect these brothers because they lead us and we need them to lead us well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the elders of Trinity Bible Church. Father, we pray for you to help us honor them with double honor, respect, and as we are able, remuneration. Father, we pray for you to keep these brothers from sin. We pray for these brothers to walk in holiness. We pray that your Spirit's power would enable them to live godly lives in our midst. So we pray for Josh and Mike and Harry and Mark and George and Reuben and Dan and Toby and Andy that these men would pursue Christ. Help us care for these brothers by honoring them at all times. Correcting them scrupulously if we have to. And that, Lord, as you lead us into the future, if we appoint future elders, that we would do so with great care. For the good of the saints of this church and for the glory of Jesus, we pray for you to bless these brothers. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are some takeaways for us today, guys. Our elders care for us, we care for them. So I saw many years ago, and I don't remember where I got this. So what I'm about to share with you isn't mine, but I don't remember where I got it either. So I I read many years ago ways that we can make our elders' job a joyful job. And I've seen lists like this over the years, so I've kind of crafted them and and taken things out. I want to list six ways very quickly that we can make these men who are on the stage, that we can make their lives flourish as they lead us. So if you're a note taker, just write these down very quickly. Six ways to make our elders work joyful. Number one, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. 
If you're not a Christian, the greatest joy you could bring them is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of your sins and follow him in the life of this church. That's the greatest thing that we want. That's what our elders want from those who may not know Christ. Third John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So if you don't know Christ today, please don't leave without asking any one of these brothers or others in the congregation how you might be saved today. Number two, cultivate and preserve unity in this body. Cultivate and preserve unity in this body. Dear brothers and sisters, it is the responsibility of every single one of us that we don't become infectious with disunity. That we do not, by our own whatever, cause disunity to happen in this body. It's our task. It's our duty to do our part. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Paul writes to the Philippians. Number three, what I've tried to show today, we pray for our church leaders. Dear brothers and sisters, if you don't pray for your elders on a weekly basis, please start doing so. 2 Corinthians 1, 10, and 11. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us by the prayers of many. Pray for your pastors, your elders, and tell them you're praying for them. Ask them how you can pray for them. Number four, express your love for them. That doesn't mean you take them out to dinner. It could mean a simple letter, a simple email, a simple pat on the back, expressing your love. Do you remember the context of chapter five? All these relationships, right? How do we express our love to those who have this critical role in our lives? Number five, by the way, a good text. Uh, there are many texts that we could look to see that. Second Corinthians 7 5 through 7 is a beautiful text talking about how Paul was comforted and encouraged by these brothers. Number five, you seek their counsel and you accept their encouragement and their reproof. You seek out their wisdom. If these brothers are doing what they're supposed to do, they're seeking the Lord, they are, if you, if you will, a resource, a, a well of blessings for us when we need them. This doesn't mean our elders have every answer to all of our questions. It does mean we have someone we can go to to help shepherd us. So seek their counsel and accept it when they give it to us. And then lastly, number six, and I think this is so critical, particularly in our day and age, believe the very best about them. Believe the very best about their character and their decisions our elders don't stand up here having made decisions by, you know, throwing dice or uh, paper, rock, paper, scissors. That's not how these brothers do ministry at Trinity Bible Church. They put a lot of behind-the-scenes work and prayer and time. We need to believe the best about them. Have you noticed how easily you have the tendency to think the worst about people? I think all of us do this. Brothers, let's not do that, number one, for anyone, but most especially for our elders. They care for us, and let's treat them that way. Let's think the best of them. Dear friends, Jesus is honored, and our church is strengthened when we care for our elders. These brothers are God's gift to us, and I hope that each and every one of us treasures the great work they do on our behalf. Would you pray with me?